We start a new series in Romans. Okay, some of you should feel the weight of that right away. We are in the book of Romans. Right? I, I feel the need to change emphasis and accent because there's a, there's a great weight with Romans. We're calling this series Unashamed. Many of you know that the key verse or the, the, the um, most famous verse is, I am not ashamed of the gospel uh, right here in chapter one, which Jeremy will be preaching on in, in a couple of weeks. So really this, uh, as we approach the book, we want to uh, really do so with a, with a posture of, of being unashamed. We're not ashamed of the gospel. Already a, an insight into what this book is all about. It is a book, but understand this, Romans is a letter. Okay, it is, it has a writer or an author, uh, namely Paul. And there is a recipient of this letter, and that is the church of Rome. The church of Jesus Christ in Rome. So Paul, the author of the letter, wants, is writing a letter because he wants to communicate off from a distance, as he's probably writing from the city of Corinth, some of you are looking to the back of your Bibles, getting engaged with the maps, and uh, you're looking around to see, okay, where is Corinth? Where is Rome? Where is Jerusalem? Trying to get a geographic sense of what's going on. But most people think that Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. And he is going to send this letter to Rome for the Christians there to read it. He has a message for the Christians at Rome. He has a message for those people, and we'll see that this message has great reason. He has a purpose in writing. There's something very specific that he wants to see occur as a result of his writing. This is a letter written by Paul uh, to a specific people uh, in the first century almost 2,000 years ago. So that gives you a little bit of quick context as to what this book is all about, this letter. But while it's a letter written specifically by Paul to a specific group of people, it has been a, uh, a powerful message for the church and the world for 2,000 years. This letter has radically transformed people's lives as they have engaged its content. Augustine, one of the uh, big heroes of church history, if you will, uh, that many people read, and if you engage him in his book uh, called The Confessions, you'll see that he will say that it was a verse in the book of Romans that led to his conversion. So as Augustine is reading Romans and engaging Romans, this was foundational to him placing his faith in Jesus Christ. Later on in the Reformation era, Martin Luther said as he's reading Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says these words. He said, as he's engaging this passage, he says this, here, in Romans, here, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself 
through open gates. Speaking to the power of the contents of the book of Romans. And even John Wesley, while studying Luther's teaching on Romans, says this as he's reading, I I, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It is a letter written by Paul to a specific group of people, the church of Rome, but it is a letter and a book that as the people of God throughout the ages have read and engaged, it has radically transformed their life, their identity, their purpose. And so today, as we dive in, as we open this letter, be careful. Watch out. Because it's very possible that God is going to radically change your life your heart, your purpose as well. That is our hope and anticipation together as we dive in, unashamed, engaging the robust truth that is in this letter, this book. And we don't want to just wrap our minds around it so that we're smarter and we understand the Gospel message better. We want to be radically transformed to live out the implications of the Gospel in every aspect of our existence. And we want to do so unashamedly. Amen? So be careful. If you want to keep your life the same, if you want to just survive spiritually, if you don't want to grow, if you don't want to be confronted by the truth and the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, you may want to show up in a couple of years when we're done with this book. But if this morning you recognize that you need God, that something's still not right about your heart, that you feel far from Him, or maybe even you feel shame about the things you believe. Fear about confessing. Hesitancy about living this faith that you hold dear. Then here's, what, here's what's going to happen. If you give yourself to this book, I trust your heart will be strangely warm. And that God will do something wonderful and miraculous in, in your life. Amen? So let's do this. Let's see how this letter begins. Romans chapter 1, verses 1-7. through Listen to what Paul says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, 
and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. By His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. If you had 40 words or less, what words or phrases would you use to describe yourself? Or maybe more accurately, to define who you are? You say, well, that's an odd question. Well, you know, it's normal today for us to do this, okay? So if you look to Facebook profiles and Twitter profiles, everyone has a little bit of something to say concisely about who they are. So when you click that about button, boom, you're trying to see like, who is this guy? Is there asking to be your friend? You want to get to know him a little bit. And there's a, there's a little bit of information that, that's, a, that's an attempt to define and describe who they are. So uh, I know many of you have been perusing my Facebook page of late uh, for your sheer entertainment. And so as you did, you noticed this, that I did this actually in 18 words, I believe, because you know me, I speak briefly. And so I said to myself, how could I let people know who I am in 40 words, actually 20 words or less? And this is what I said. Jesus follower, period. Family man, period. Steak eater, period. Steelers fan, period. You can, I was done. Check. Steelers fan, period. Former basketball gunner. Some of you that knew me in my high school days know that I refused to pass the ball. And uh, to this day, I refuse to pass the ball. Uh, it's why I don't play basketball anymore, because it brings out the worst in me. Former basketball gunner. Wannabe four-mile runner. That one's a little out of date. I don't, I don't want to be a four-mile four runner anymore. If you have 40 words or less, what kinds of words would you use to describe yourself? You see, this letter opens up with Paul, in customary fashion, uh, uh, introducing himself. And he's telling us who he is briefly. But as you read these opening words, if you know anything about Paul, you know that something has changed about him. Right? So, if you go back to Philippians, or if you go to Philippians, you'll notice that Paul describes and defines himself there as well in chapter 3. He says this, he says, though I myself 
Though I myself have have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's what he says. Are you ready? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And this really was the days when he was what? Named Saul. He was called Saul, and he was a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. And so when we read this description, it's very much inconsistent with this description of who he was prior to his change. We see that Paul, in the presence of Agrippa in Acts 26, tells us what happened to change the definition of who he was. Listen to what he says. Agrippa, he's retelling his conversion experience. He says, and I said, who are you, Lord? Going back to Acts 9. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant. There it is. A servant. So that they, meaning the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Me. And so as customary, Paul is telling us who he is, but we have to understand something, that this is a radical change in who Paul is. This He's calling himself a, a servant of Jesus Christ. So he once was a persecutor of Jesus and His people. And now, because of His interaction with the risen Lord, His identity has radically changed. He is no longer a persecutor of Christ, but He is now a servant of Jesus Christ. That's who He is. Foundationally, fundamentally, He starts foremost with an understanding that because of what Jesus has done in His life, He is now a servant that belongs to Jesus. Second, he is called to be an apostle. Literally, he was summoned. When Jesus showed up into his life, he became a servant. Christ appointed him to be a servant, but he also summoned him to serve him in a very specific way as an apostle. I am sending you as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was summoned. He was called to be an apostle. One that is sent. And yet we understand that Paul being an eyewitness to the risen Christ also is holding this office of apostle. And then last we see that he is set apart for the Gospel of God. That that really what what Jesus did when He intervened in His life on the road to Damascus, appointing Him to be a servant and calling Him to be an apostle, that He was 
He was setting him apart. He was separating Saul out. Separating Paul out. Separating him. Severing him from ordinary purposes. That there was something very extraordinary. Out of the norm. He was separated out. Sanctified out. Made holy for a specific task. Right? For the Gospel of God. This is who Paul is. And in these letters, it's customary for the writer of the letter to start by introducing himself. You see, when we write letters, we don't do that, right? If any of you remember how to write letters, right? In an age of text messaging, we've forgotten all sense of formalities, right? Uh, emails, right? Like letters seem to be like some archaic way of communicating, right? So, but if you remember it all from school, how to write a letter, there's a specific way. And you start by addressing the people that you're writing to. right? But not so with letters of this day. That first and foremost, the author of the letter would name himself and introduce himself. And so we see that Paul is being customary. He's introducing himself first. He's letting them know who he is by name and who he is in relationship to Jesus Christ. And then he's, verse 7, writing to the church of Rome, right? To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It was customary in letter writing to introduce yourself first and then also to address those that you were writing the letter to and extending grace, peace in the form of a greeting. And so we see this, that there are believers of Christ in the city of Rome, even in the middle part of the first century. And you ask, how did that happen? Right? Does anybody remember when the first residents of Rome heard the gospel? Anybody remember? You've got to think way back to day one of the church. On the day of Pentecost, there were People from all over the empire that had come to Jerusalem for the feast. And Peter stands up and he preaches. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that residents from Rome were there. And many people believe that, that, that they had heard the Gospel, responded to the Gospel, and then through the persecution and going home, that really these people went back to Rome. And that there was a gathering of Christ's people in the city of Rome. And so these are the people that Paul is writing to. But we said that there was a purpose for his writing. And even here, we see the purpose of why he is writing. This, this greeting is actually different than any other greeting that Paul gives in all of his 13 letters. Usually they're very short and to the point, and then he moves on. But here, we see an expanded introduction that Paul is giving in this opening passage. And it's interesting. It's, it's almost as if in verse 3, something triggers in Paul as he's writing a, a little bit of a rant, if you will. It's like he's hit a buzzword or a, or a buzz, buzz phrase that the minute he comes across it, the minute his mind is, comes across this, that all of a sudden he just goes off. 
it's kind of like a, a buzzword in society today. That and, and you know, there are certain people that there are certain topics, phrases, and words that if you say this around them, that you're all of a sudden going to get into it for a while. Right? If you, you say something like organic or non-GMO, then all of a sudden, oh, I should, shoot, we're going to, I shouldn't have said that around them, right? You make any reference to antibiotics in meat, it's like, oh my goodness, right? And those people just go absolutely insane and it's like three to five minute rant on the, the beauty and glory of organic food, right? Tell me I'm crazy. This is happening constantly. I'm not against organic. Or if you say the word CrossFit, especially those that have ever done it and, and felt the joys and the, and the endorphins and all the excitement of the challenge, it's very cultic. So if you make any mention to like deadlifting or clean and jerk or powerlifting or pull-ups or kipping, it's like, woo, something really fun happens. And you know you're going to get stories about, oh man, let me tell you about our workout today. And you want to run for your lives, don't you? Or you say something like, make America great again. And I don't care where you are on the spectrum of that. We're going on a rant somewhere. Emotional rant. You see, there's a, a buzzword that, that seems to come across for Paul. He's, he's talking, but he said, listen, I've been set apart. I've been a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle. I've been set apart for the Gospel of God. And then all of a sudden, when he comes across that phrase, Gospel of God. Five verses go by. You see, that gives us insight into the purpose of this letter. The content of this letter. And we have to dive in this morning and not lose sight of what Paul is trying to communicate to Rome and what really God is trying to communicate to us. That there's something central and significant, incomparably significant, to the Gospel of God. That that's why he's writing. That's why he defines himself for who he is. That this Gospel of God is the focus and the center of this letter and even this opening passage in the letter. You see, it's customary for Paul to introduce himself first. But even though he's first in the letter, in no way, shape, or form is Paul the focus of this letter. Right? He's not the focus of this letter. It is the Gospel of God that is the focus of this letter. It is the lens by which Paul sees his identity. The Gospel of God tells me who I am. The Gospel of God is central to His purpose, His mission, His life, and His letter to the Romans. For Paul, the Gospel of God is everything. Is that true of you this morning? Is the Gospel of God fundamental and foundational to everything about your life. Because it is to this letter. You may be asking, well, what do you mean by the Gospel of God? Maybe that's just another buzzword that we like to say in the church that 
because we don't unpackage it, we lose its meaning. It's just a catchphrase. It's like gospel-centered, reformed, missional. Yeah, yeah. What are we talking about? Nobody has any idea what we're talking about. We're just saying it and we're loving it. But we're not having any idea what we're talking about. In some ways, the answer to this question is going to be the next two years. So be encouraged by this. If you have a superficial or confused understanding and you want to learn more about what the Gospel of God is, come with us through this book. We will dig deeply into these things. But let me whet our appetite, if you will, to these things by just explaining, as Paul does, a little bit about what the Gospel of God is. If it is foundational to Paul's life, and he is insinuating in any way, shape, or form that it should be foundational to our lives as well, we better know what it is, right? So what is the Gospel of God? Well, simply put, it is good news. It's good news. Right? He's been set apart for the good news of God. Most of you know that, right? You know that. You say, okay, the Gospel is what? Good news. Right? We know that. So He's been set apart for the good news of God. But more specifically, based on what this word was, it is not just good news, but it is good news of victory. And for those who are hearing this news, it's bringing about the reward that has been achieved by this victory. And so when he's saying, this is the good news of God, or I've been set apart for the gospel, the, the good news of God, he's saying, I've been set apart by the good news of victory that brings a reward to those who hear it and respond to it. That's what he's saying. It is the good news of victory. That God has been victorious over His enemies. You see, the, the person who would go and proclaim good news to the people would often come returning uh, before the king to declare victory in battle over their enemies. And so when the people heard victory, they would cheer and begin to all of us uh, uh, right away begin to live in the reward of the victory of their king. And so when we see that He's been set apart for the Gospel of God. This Gospel is news. It is good news. But it is good news of a victory that has been achieved by God. And there is reward for those who hear it and respond to it. And I think you should really pull that in. Try to, try to grasp that this morning. It's not just news in general. It is news of the victory of God over His enemies in battle. And those who hear about that victory and respond to that victory, and are citizens of His kingdom, they respond and have this reward that comes with it. It is a wonderful thing. He says, I've been set apart for this good news. The Gospel is news, but it is not new. The Gospel is news, but it is not new. The Gospel is based on previous promises that God had made. Look at what it says. He's set apart for the Gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets 
in the Holy Scriptures. This is news, the Gospel, but it is not new. It is something that had been announced throughout the Old Covenant, throughout the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, this announcing of, this is what's going to happen. I will gain victory over my enemies and the enemies of my people. So it's been promised. And now, it's being heard. This, this promise is being heard. John Calvin says this, he says, Christ came not to earth unexpectedly, nor did He introduce a doctrine of a new kind. This isn't new. And not heard of before, inasmuch as He and His Gospel too had been promised and, ex and expected from the beginning of the world. Right? This promise was given throughout the ages. This Gospel of God, this victory that had been achieved was not new news, but it was something that was promised for generations and generations. How so? Through the prophets. Right? Through the prophets. God raised up prophets in the Old Testament to prophesy and give a foretaste of a soon fulfillment of Christ in Christ. And so this was promised through the prophets. But look at what he says. This Gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through the, His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. You see, if you're wondering the nature of this victory, the foundation of this victory, if you're wondering the essence of the Gospel, what is the Gospel? You have to see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those promises. All of those promises in the Gospel were concerning Jesus. Concerning His Son. This is the basis of good news, right? Look at what He says. Back to the victory thing. He was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power. By His resurrection from the dead. You see, He came to earth as promised. He lived perfect, sinless life. And then He went obediently to a cross and died as our substitute for sin. As the servant of the Lord. According to Isaiah 53. According to the prophets. And then... Because death could not hold Him. Because He had already defeated sin. He had already defeated Satan. And now that He has defeated death, the three great enemies of God and His people, that in His resurrection, He was declared to be vindicated as the Son of God in power. You see, it was not in some typical fashion where Jesus rode out on a horse and beat all of uh, the enemies of God up with a sword. But He still won the victory for the people of God. And He did so in His death and in His resurrection. And upon His resurrection, we see that the ultimate enemy, death, is defeated. And so, the good news, 
that of God that Paul was set apart for is a good news that Jesus Christ has indeed defeated all of God's enemies and all of the enemies of the people of God. And those that hear this news and respond to this news receive the reward of it and live in the joy of it. And so if you're here today and you've never really understood what all this is about the Gospel of Jesus, hear this, it's simply a message concerning the Son of God who came and lived and died and rose again victorious over Satan's sin and death. And now all those who hear that and respond to it in faith are those who now live in the reward of eternal life. That's the Gospel. The good news of God's victory. The good news of fulfilled promises in Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. That's what the Gospel is. And man, I want to talk more about that. But lastly, I just want to transition to the other thing that we see, that the Gospel of God is news, which is the motive of Paul's mission. See, for Paul, it's, the Gospel is everything. It's central to who he is. It's central to every aspect of his life. But it's also the motive for his mission. Look at what he says. He's talking about Jesus Christ our Lord. He's saying, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Again, classic Pauline phrase, 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 phrase. You can almost miss the forest through the trees. What is he saying? That in his calling and in his being set apart for the gospel, God, that Jesus saved him, made him his own. But Jesus also dispensed to him grace and apostleship. Right? Mission. That this gospel was not something to simply save Paul, but it was something that would send Paul, right? That it not what not only was his salvation, but it was his purpose. That he was called to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations for the sake of the name of Jesus. That the gospel was shaping his whole purpose for existence. Why he lives in this world was the motive, was motivated by the gospel. So yes, the gospel redefines Paul, but it also redirects him. The gospel gives him a person. It changes our person, but also gave Paul a purpose. And I want you to see that that's exactly the same thing that it does for us 1950 years later after this letter is written. That the Gospel is the focus of our lives and our very identities. But it is also the motive for our mission. And we can't miss that. It's the reason he's writing this letter. He's motivated by the reality and the truth and the event of the good news of the Gospel of God. And it is motivating his mission. This Gospel consumes Paul's life very different than uh, American evangelicalism. 
suburban spirituality that basically gives the gospel, gives a relationship with God, gives the mission of the church a very uh, segmented part of our life, a a portion of it, a, a tenth if you will. It's not defining us. It's not all encompassing to our purpose for existence. It's not our vision. We're not striving after it and running after it with everything that we've got. Because we have a superficial understanding of the Gospel. We have a superficial embracing of its purpose and its mission in the world. That the reason God saves us and brings us into relationship with Him and leaves us here in this world is because He wants to not only save us, but use us in this world to declare the Gospel and bring about the effect of the Gospel. The obedience of faith among all the nations. For the sake of His name and His glory. You're asking, why am I alive? What is my purpose? Why does why do I work where I work? Why do I live where I live? Why is my last name Maisie? What is it about giving purpose to my life? What is it all about? It's all so that God can live through me, can declare His message of salvation to every man, woman, and child that I come into contact with. It's so that the obedience of faith is brought about amongst all people. And I think this verse really recenters us at Renovation Church of why we are even here in North Syracuse. Why we ever left Missio four years ago, stood on that stage and were prayed for. Because we believed that God had saved us for a reason. That He had brought us to Himself. That He, that he, he caused us to belong to Him. He made us His own people that He might give us a grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Now some of you are going, we're not apostles. Preach. But we are still apostolic. None of us are apostles. We don't hold that office. Okay? You hear that? But let's be understood very clearly that while we are not holding the office of the apostle in any way, shape, or form, we are living into the apostolic mission of bringing the Gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And Renovation Church is in North Syracuse because God wants to mobilize a people to bring about the obedience of faith on every nook and cranny in this community and throughout all the northern suburbs of Onondaga County as we partner with other congregations to stand on the Gospel. Do you have this Gospel vision as you approach the purposes of your life? Or can you honestly admit that the gospel is just kind of nice? Church is fun to play on Sundays to make us feel better about the fact that the focus of our lives is really our own self, our achievement, our vision, our dreams, that our life is radically inconsistent with the purposes and power of the gospel. And really all we want is our own personal happiness and comfort in this world. That's suburban life. That we say all the time that we didn't have opportunity to engage lost people. But oh man, did we have opportunity to do other things that fit the purpose that we really have for our lives. I don't mean to overstate this. But I think it's something that we really are faced with as a challenge. It's easy 
to have mission drift, isn't it? That's the title of a book. But the title itself is intriguing and know nothing about its contents. But there is a propensity for us as the people of God saved by the Gospel to drift in our mission. I think about four years we've been existing as a church and all the turnover that we've experienced this summer as we've sent people to New Jersey and Albany and uh, just Denver, Colorado as we've prayed for them and sent them. has been a grieving process for us. And I understand that many of those people were original members of Renovation Church that understood that we were not doing this for our own comfort and convenience. We were doing this because we believed that God had a very specific purpose in sending us to the northern suburbs of Onondaga County to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations through our lives. The Gospel is the focus of our lives. And it is the motive for our mission. I pray that this is just the beginning of digging deep into these things. Right? The Gospel is the focus of this letter. The Gospel is the focus of Paul's life. The Gospel is the motive for Paul's mission. And I think that we can easily say that while this is a letter that was written 1950 years ago, specific author with a specific recipient, that God wants to do something in our own hearts as a congregation to recenter us in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. One wise person recently said, don't lose sight of the vision and mission of what God is calling us to at Renovation Church. Don't lose sight of that. Don't get distracted in this. And, and so, I put this out for you. Don't lose sight of the Gospel in your life. The good news of God's victory over every one of our enemies. Don't lose sight of that. It is the foundation of your identity. It is the foundation of every aspect of your life. It is not just a segment. And it is the motive for everything that we do until Jesus returns. I want you to just simply evaluate. And as we open this letter, I ask you simply to open your heart. Open your heart. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. Open your heart to the resurrected King who has defeated sin, who has defeated Satan, who has conquered death, our greatest enemies. Open your heart to repurposing, to restructuring. Open your heart to a Gospel-centered vision to bring about the obedience of faith in the lives of every person that you know and interact with on a daily basis. Do we open our hearts to this letter? The Gospel is the focus of our lives and the motive for our mission. Amen? Let's pray. Oh great God, You have made us who we are in Jesus Christ. We are Your servants. 
While we are not apostles, we participate in an apostolic mission in the world. We are those set apart, separated out from typical cultural worldly purposes to bring about the obedience of faith amongst all people. This Gospel, this good news of victory is concerning Jesus Christ descended David according to the flesh, but declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by His resurrection from the dead. May we see Him for all that He is. May we obey Him by trusting in Him with all that we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.